listening to Rising Above with Becky Davidson. We have to know scripture enough to know that God says, if you are weary, come to me. I will give you rest. I will not give you a to-do list and I will not give you more to do. Welcome to Rising Above with Becky Davidson, where we hear from special needs families who rise above difficult circumstances and discover that joy can be found in every story. Thank you for joining us. Here's your host, Becky Davidson. Hey friends, I am so glad that you are joining us this week and I am excited to introduce you to my guest today, Melissa Mamoni. Melissa is a Christian speaker and author and through scripture and storytelling, she teaches women that an authentic life in Christ can be both messy and magnificent at the same exact time. She is the author of two books, Gathering Dandelions and The Radiant Midnight, Depression, Grace, and The Gifts of a Dark Place. Her daughter Elizabeth was born with developmental delays, and she's been a source of beauty, inspiration, and grief that has taught Melissa a fierce daily dependence on the Lord. We had such a great conversation, and I know that you're going to enjoy getting to know more about Melissa and her story. Hey, Melissa, thank you so much for joining us. I am excited to get to know more about you and your family. This is the first time we've met, and so I can't wait to hear more about your journey. So, Tell us a little bit about you and your family. Thank you so much um, for having me. And I uh, I have been married for 32 years to my husband, Danny. Um, sometimes I forget how long we've been married. It's been so many years. But um, we have a daughter, uh, and her name is Elizabeth, and she's going to be 30 this year. And we have a son who is 25, almost 26. So... Um, we have, you know, they're both adults, but Elizabeth has special needs. She has an intellectual disability. Um, she does not have a diagnosis, uh, but she, um, you know, has severe intellectual disabilities. Uh, and she has been um, a true source of learning and of joy and a source of learning to depend deeply on the Lord. Um, and it's been it's been a privilege to be her mm, mom. Yeah. Well, how old was she when you started discovering, okay, things are maybe a little different here and our life may look a little bit different. How old was she when you started discovering those things? Um, I was pretty young when I was pregnant with Elizabeth. I was I think 24 and I didn't have a lot of friends who had children. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while I was pregnant, the obstetrician had indicated that he wasn't sure if there was a problem or not. And uh, they did a couple tests on me and then they just sort of watched me closely. Um, I didn't, to be honest, I did not have the the experience enough to know even what questions to ask, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I just sort of was like, okay, you know, and when she was born, um, I would say pretty much from the beginning, they felt that there was probably an issue, um, but she looked adorable. Mm-hmm. She didn't look any different than any mm-hmm. other children. Um, and then I would say I started to, I, I found a pediatrician and he he was the one that really helped. And he was the first person to say, you know, I remember I was holding her. She was about nine months old and he walked into the room and before anything, he said, has she been diagnosed with anything? 
Mm. And, uh, and so that was when I started to realize that there was, uh, something different about my daughter mm. and the older she got, you know, the more you could see some of right. those facial features that looked a little different and things like that. But, um, because I was so young, I, yeah. uh, it sort of unfolded very slowly mm-hmm. for us. Yeah. Well, how did that impact you as a mom? Was she your first child or what did you mm-hmm. have your, okay, so she's your first child and, yeah. you know, we know how that is first, you know, first time moms and really not knowing, like you said, not knowing what to expect and what to look for. But, yeah. you know, as a young mom, how did that impact you? You know, when the doctor comes in at nine months old and is like, hey, you know, we need to maybe look a little bit further into things. I think at the time, I think I just did the next thing. I just mm-hmm. kept doing the next thing. And, um, to be honest, I've, I've never been, um, I didn't have a lot of aspirations about what my parenting or what my child would be like. I didn't have a clear vision of what that would be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember the first time that it really hit me that, my life and my child's life was going to be deeply different is when we started to go to early intervention. Mm, yeah. And um, we went to early intervention and she was, I don't know, two, maybe younger than that. And um, we sat in this circle with all the other moms and these were moms that had children that had Down syndrome or cerebral palsy or, you know, looked very different. And I remember sitting in that circle thinking, I don't want to belong here. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really painful, yeah. really painful because I, in my own world with Elizabeth, she just was Elizabeth. But right. as soon as I started to be around other people, then I realized that she was different mm-hmm. and it was, it was extraordinarily painful for me. It made me feel very, very lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't, uh, I, that was when I started to feel like I was in over my head. Mm. Yeah, it can be so overwhelming, especially in those early days. And, you know, but she, you said she is what, 30 now? Mm-hmm. Going to yeah. be 30. And yeah, she's so, going to be 30. Going to be 30. Well, tell us about her today. What does she enjoy doing? What is, what does her day to day look like today? You know, I, when I started going down the road with Elizabeth in terms of, finding out about her and we went to geneticists and looked to see what her diagnosis might be and things like that. And, and we know as, as moms that sometimes the diagnosis is very helpful in terms Mm -hmm. of us getting particular help and funding and such. Um, and so I was looking for that and I remember them telling me all the things that she probably won't be able to do. And they said, she may not be able to talk. She may not be able to walk real well. You know, we don't know if she'll ever, live on her own, you know, and, and they sort of listed all these things and it got me very afraid. And then I realized that, um, they can't tell me all the things that she will do. Mm -hmm. And they only tell me the things that she may not be able to do. And so, um, Elizabeth just continued to surprise us and she was slow in talking. Um, but man, oh man, you talk to her now, she talks, she'll talk a blue streak and she's funny. She, um, is really, um, she's really sophisticated in a lot of ways. She understands humor, um, and she can joke around. She has definite, uh, likes and dislikes and, um, 
Uh, she actually, a, a year ago, we started the journey of finding a group home for her, and mm. she just moved into the group home she's in in May. Wow. So this is her first uh, experience living mm. um, on her own. Wow. And yeah, we, so for the first time in our lives, Danny and I are, are empty nesters. Empty nesters. Um, wow. Yeah. How was that on your mama's heart, you know, letting her... Go to the group home and and live independently with help, you know. But yeah. away away from you, how how has that impacted you? Well, um, I was impacted by somebody who had uh, told me a story about somebody with special needs whose parents stayed with them for their whole lives, mm-hmm. and then the parents eventually passed away. And the first time the child was ever put uh, into a group living situation was after both parents were gone. Yeah. And that scared the wits out of me mm-hmm. because I just thought I can't, I don't want to do that to Elizabeth. Right. And, um, and our son is amazing and wonderful and compassionate and he loves his sister, but we felt very strongly that we wanted him to um, live his life. Mm-hmm. And um, he will already have a lot of responsibility with Elizabeth and we wanted to be able to help make sure that uh, that Elizabeth was living independently before that. Yeah. And so we just, it, it, it terrified me mm-hmm. to think about her living in a group home, but it terrified me more to think of her having yeah. that experience if I wasn't there to help her with it. Mm. So we, uh, we, we found a place last year and she was excited. We were excited and she moved in. Um, and, I left uh, that afternoon, got her all fixed up in her room and everything. And I left and I got home and I sobbed, like, Mm. like sobbed to Mm. the deepest part of my soul, that groaning. And Mm. uh, I felt like I was going to die, you know, and I felt like, I felt like, I felt like a bad mom. Mm. I wasn't sure I was doing the right thing. You know, uh, and she was there for um, about four months or so. It, she did not have a good experience there. The people there were wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't that at all. It was she. She was very well cared for. It was just that it wasn't a good fit. Uh, the people there were a lot of them were nonverbal, and Elizabeth is extremely mm-hmm. verbal. She's really active. She wants to get out. She wants to do stuff, and um, it just wasn't like that there. Right. So um, we eventually brought her home. That was super painful because mm. I had just started to get a sense of like, oh my gosh, mm. I have more free time in my day. Right. Um, and I actually signed up and I started to go back to school to pursue my master's degree. And uh, life felt like there was maybe some good things coming in store. And then I had we had to bring her home. And uh, I was pretty devastated by that too. Mm. So it, it's so hard because as a mama's heart, you know, you're yeah. torn, you know, I wanted so much for her to live this life there mm-hmm. and she, it didn't turn out the way we thought it would. It tore me apart to drop her off there and to have her living somewhere else. Yeah. It tore me apart when she came, she came home. back home. <laughs> right. So, you know, behind door number one, two and three were mm-hmm. all very hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then, so she's, then she just moved out recently again to a different group home. And that's working out. Um, oh my so gosh. Glad. Love it. Love it. So glad. Well, you know, you know, we, you think about it and, and parents who have kids who are going off to college, it's the same, 
you know, that same experience. You're dropping them off at school. You're not going to be there with them. And then they come back home and then they go, you know. And yeah, so absolutely. In some ways, that was kind of a typical experience maybe for those who, who have kids absolutely. going off to college. Yeah. Well, and, and it was neat because our son Cole had had gone off to college mm-hmm. and then he had moved out and he was living, uh, you know, in another state. And um, he, he eventually came and moved closer to us. Hurrah. I loved that. But, um, and I said to her, I got to really help her see like, you're doing what Cole did. Mm. And that spoke volumes to her because it was painful for her as we were growing for her to have her little brother eventually, mm. um, overtake her in terms of his abilities. And then eventually, you know, he got his driver's license and she said, well, why can't I have a driver's license? Mm. Why can't I, you know, and it was hard for her. Of course. Um, so I think it actually motivated her a little bit to see like, oh, you're right. Cole mm-hmm. did that. And now I'm going to do it. And I said, it's what grownups do. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people look at our kids and they maybe only see the disability, see that, see where they're mm-hmm. quote unquote lacking in skills mm-hmm. and whatnot. But when you look at your daughter, what is it that you see that you just love that maybe people don't see when they when they first initially meet her? Uh, Elizabeth is a really reflective, deep thinker. Uh, she she can she, she maybe has a hard time articulating exactly what she means, but she's very sensitive to people around her, and she can read a room. Like she gets mm-hmm. it when there's somebody who is lonely or somebody who is in pain or they're different. And, um, she, um, she can tell and she can tell when there's tension. She can tell when things are good, you know, she, and she can articulate it very well. Um, so I love, I love that about her. Um, she is passionate about horses and, you know, she's, she's short. Uh, she's probably just under five feet and, um, she is um, overweight Um, and she can handle a horse like nobody's business. And it, you know, we have these, you know, they're thousand pound animals Mm -hmm. and she just knows how to deal with them and how to, you know, she knows how to put a saddle on and everything. And to watch her do that is a marvel to us Mm. because it's all hers. We are not a horse family. Like Mm. I can ride horses when I was growing up, none of that. And she, I love to see her have things that are specifically hers and specifically Elizabeth. So beautiful. I love that so much. And, you know, I just love it when we can see things about our kids that that how God created them in their own unique way. And um, sounds, sounds like she is an amazing, amazing person. And, you know, you know, you are an author and a speaker and you share very openly about the struggles that you've had personally with depression and anxiety. And, you know, I know that, you know, so often we want to keep our struggles silent. We don't want to share when we're struggling, you know, we want to make it look like we've got it all together. But why was it important for you to be vulnerable and to be real and to be able to share that part of your journey with others? Well, I didn't start out wanting to be real and vulnerable (laughs) with others. Um, And what what happened is I I worked at a a church uh, for a long time. And I was the director of women's ministries and I loved it. Um, uh, but over time, uh, there, I think we had an event or something and I shared a little bit about 
my past struggle with depression and um, that it still remained a part of my life. And I did not anticipate the response that I would get, but I, I was overwhelmed at the amount of women who talked to me afterwards and who said, I struggle too. And I've never heard anyone talk about it in Christian circles. And um, they, it was clear to me quickly that a lot of women um, were struggling and that they felt alone and they felt ashamed. Mm -hmm. And I just thought we can't, we can't do this to ourselves because isn't, this isn't the life that God's wanting us Mm -hmm. to lead. Like this isn't, we're not supposed to live in in shame and we're not supposed to live uh, in silence and alone. And, um, and so I started talking about it more. And then the more I talked about it, then different people asked me to come and speak at different places, which is sort of how I ended up doing a lot of speaking and writing is just, mm-hmm. um, I just feel really, it's very important to me that women understand that the feelings that they have, um, even if they don't reflect the truth of reality, are still really important mm-hmm. and they are nothing to be ashamed of and right. that there is no feeling that the Lord isn't with them in. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, I think we live a lot freer lives if we're able to be really honest yeah. about the really hard things and mm-hmm. feeling bad and being bad are two very different totally. things. Yeah. And you are not bad mm-hmm. for having feelings that feel bad. Yeah. And I know for so many women, that was so freeing for them to see someone up on stage or in front of them sharing the raw and real side of their life. And so how have you seen that impact the women that you've gotten to speak in front of or the different churches you've been able to speak in front of? I mean, over and over and over again, I get to hear women talk about their own struggles and their feeling of connection. just knowing that they're not alone. Um, I'm also, it's very important to me to help churches to start that conversation within their own community because I may come and share for a weekend or at a retreat or something to that effect, but then I leave and I don't want the retreat to be about me. I want it to be about them finding connection with God and with one another. Um, So I try and help them point to that direction. But I've just seen over and over again, one that, this is a real issue. Um, and two, that a lot of people feel a deep sense of shame about it. Mm, and yeah. um, I just, if I can help them to to remove some of that shame mm. and both, you know, when I speak and things like that, like I, I use a lot of humor because um, we have to laugh at yeah. some of the things and some of the ways we are. But I try and be super honest because if people feel like they're not alone um, and if people feel like, maybe there's not so much to be ashamed of that I really believe that your relationship with God changes. And that's ultimately whom, whom is going to pull us out of shame Mm -hmm. and and darkness. Yeah. There's such freedom that comes, you know, when we Mm -hmm. can be truthful and when we shine the light on those hard things in our life. And, and when you know, you're not alone in this journey. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I know for so many special needs parents, we struggle with depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. and grief. You know, grief is Mm -hmm. such a big, part of especially the special needs life you know that ongoing grief you know grieving it is ongoing it's ongoing yeah and right you know so how has grief been part of your story 
Um, and how do you encourage the, the people that you speak in front of or you, 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 know, you write your books for you talk to um, about processing through that grief? I think, like you said, that's so that's so true that it's ongoing grief. And part of the reason it's ongoing is because as our children grow, we are confronted with new things yeah. to grieve. Right. And the things that I had to grieve when she was six, about for the first time, somebody saying she can't be in special in her regular kindergarten class anymore. Starting in first grade, we're going to have to put her in special ed. Mm-hmm. That grief to the grief of um, her not wanting a boyfriend in high school and not, not, that's not mm-hmm. part of her life. And mm-hmm. the grief of, um, you know, realizing that, um, it's possible, but my daughter probably will not get married. And, um, and the grief of, as she's an adult, not being able to help her as much as I mm-hmm. used to, yeah. because she has to do it on her own. Mm-hmm. She has to. So I've I've had a lot of grief and the grief of not having a daughter that is typical, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think what's really important to me is that as we grieve, we are not betraying our children and we are not in any sense uh, loving our children less by allowing grief to come to come and be part of our lives. Um, I think it allows us actually to love our children better mm-hmm. and in a more realistic way. Um, I think we love our children so fiercely and there's such that mama bear protectiveness for our children. I mean, for, you know, both, I feel that way about both my children, but I, but man, don't, you know, I will go crazy town right. if somebody is after my kid in any way. Mm-hmm. Like I just, uh, grieving some of the ways that Elizabeth, um, will not be, uh, I think has allowed me to kind of let go of some things that I've needed to let go of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, grief is important and the the scripture is full of people grieving and bringing it to the Lord and lamenting. And I think a lot of time, especially in our Christian cultures, we do not allow enough time and space Mm -hmm. for people to grieve. You know, our worship songs are usually nine times out of 10, they're wonderful and they're really uplifting, but how often do we sing to the Lord in grief? And David did it all the time, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. um, I, I really believe that it's part, it's, it is praise and it is worship Mm -hmm. and it is offering ourselves to God when we confess, Lord, Mm -hmm. I am so grieved over Mm -hmm. what I have lost and what my daughter has lost. Yeah. You know, and there's healing that comes then too. You know, when we can look at the hard Huge. things and we can be raw and real about all the emotions and all the things. I mean, God already knows. He knows mm-hmm. how we're feeling. He knows that when we're angry and yeah. when we're grieving and when we're mad and, you know, about the, the, the situations and the things that we face and that our kids face. And so, but there's something about pouring that out. I, I do it through journaling. That's how I'm, I'm Yeah, big, me too. Yeah, well, I used to not be, but I am a big journaler. Yeah. And it's so freeing to be able to, get it all down. And then I'll, you know, write out like how I'm feeling in that moment, you know, like, well, what are all these things that I'm feeling? But then what's the truth, you know, and and then giving it to God. And it's, it's just liberating to be able to, instead of stuffing it down, instead of pretending it's not real or or making yourself feel guilty for grieving 
um, your child who's here with you, grieving those yeah. things that, um, that, that, that you've, you know, lost that they're not able to do. There's such freedom that I come from there. Absolutely. And I mean, we can always say to ourselves, you know, well, this person has it harder than me and I should really be grateful. Mm -hmm. And and the the minute you start doing that, you're taking your grief and you're, you're not allowing it to have a a space in your Mm -hmm. life. And what's, you know, I, I don't know if you experience this, but I sure do is when I start journaling, I'm telling you, I mean, like nine times out of 10, as I start journaling and writing down all of the ugly feelings and all of the things that I can't even stand writing about, um, it is amazing how often by the end of my time of journaling, I feel grateful and I feel so uh, in tune with God. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just think it's it's quicker. It's a quicker way to peace is to (laughs) just... Grieve and to have yeah. it out there. And yeah. and I think we need to grieve both by ourselves and with other people. Mm-hmm. And we need to confess some of those things to other yeah. people, you know, yeah. and not be ashamed of it. The thing is, everybody's feeling, you know, everybody's dealing with their own things, their own grief. And so let's just, yep. let's just bring it all out in the open and with that yeah. safe person and, and process through and, but yeah, journaling has been has been a very good friend to me <laughs> over yeah. these years. I, and just, I told my husband, I'm like, if I die, yeah. you do not open a page and you <laughs> burn those babies. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have I have friends who know, you know, if something were to mm-hmm. happen to me, they know exactly what to do with my journals, and so exactly, so 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 true. <laughs> you know, and I think so often for us, you know, we're going through grief. We're going. Some of us are dealing with anxiety and depression. But we have these voices that that come up in our minds, these these things, these thoughts that that come from doctors or therapists or mm-hmm. teachers or or from the enemy himself, you know, you're not doing enough, you're you're, you know, all the all the failures and things. Yes. So how do we shift that from those those voices that we hear from the outside to be able to hear what God has to say to us? Base Camp is a weekend getaway just for special needs dads and it's coming up on October 13th, 14th, and 15th. Guys enjoy good food, fun activities, encouraging messages, plus a chance to connect with other dads and relate about the challenges and adventures unique to the special needs journey. See the show notes for a link to all the details. So how do we shift that from those those voices that we hear from the outside to be able to hear what God has to say to us? Um, I, I think there's a few things and I struggle deeply with the voices in, in my head that tell me that I am not doing enough. It is, um, I heard someone say one time that they have a favorite bad feeling. Um, and my favorite bad feeling is feeling like I'm not doing enough. Mm. Um, it's just my go-to. And when I am tired, um, when I feel more vulnerable or weak, it is, it is the feeling that I go to. Um, and, uh, there's a couple things. Um, one, I would say get really good friends um, because your friends can offer you perspective mm-hmm. on what's going on that you cannot. And I have yeah. found over and over again that that giant thing that feels overwhelming and too big, the moment I share it with someone, mm-hmm. it becomes smaller. Yep. Um, so I would definitely say get a few. You don't need a lot. You, if you have one or two really good, mm-hmm. safe friends, it, that's it's enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and so I would say also, um, no scripture, um, study scripture. You don't need to be a theologian, yeah. but you need to understand enough about what God 
has done through Jesus Christ, why he did it, and what that means for you. Mm. Um, because we do not have a God who ever says you're not doing enough. Yeah. Or who says you shouldn't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Or who says, I don't care, or I don't want you, or that's too hard or too mm-hmm. ugly for me. There is nothing too ugly and too hard for him. Yeah. And I think with our kids with special needs, there's a reality to the difficulty that we go through and the never ending tunnel that it looks like we can mm-hmm. be staring down at some point. And I have had, I think I have struggled more with depression in my relationship with Elizabeth in adulthood than I ever did when mm-hmm. she was a child. Yeah. Um, because when they're adults, they're, you can't control it in the same way. You can't control them. And um, she wore me down a lot, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I, so the voices in my head very much said, you're not doing enough. You're not doing mm-hmm. enough. And what I realized and um, what's really important to know is that I, I am not enough. If, are we enough for everyone in our lives and for our children and for all the things we want for them and want to provide for them? We're not because we're just human beings, but God is, is enough. Mm-hmm. And we have to trust that where our enoughness ends, his begins and it is enough. And our children do not need us to be perfect and they do not need us to solve all of it. They need us to be present and to love them and to pray over them. And in our minds, we have to know scripture enough to know that God says, if you are weary, come to me. I will give you rest. Mm -hmm. I will not give you a to-do list and I will not give you more to do. And I got your kid. I've Mm -hmm. got her. I've got him. Mm-hmm. We have to trust. Like that, I think, is one of the biggest things about living with a child with special needs is how much trust we have to mm-hmm. turn over to God. It's yeah. terrifying, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Every day. Every day. And you know, I love that you have taken uh, your part of your journey and some your some of your struggles and some of the things that you have encountered, and you've written about them. So, tell us yeah. about the books that you have written and where we can find those. Oh, you're so sweet. Um, well, my first book is Gathering Dandelions. And that one I say is, um, it's like great bathroom reading. It's a great <laughs> mom book because every chapter is its own. You can just pick it up and pick a chapter. Um, and that is more of a devotional, has a short story and some reflective questions and a prayer. Um, and it's in a very conversational tone, uh, which you know, is really important to me. Uh, mm-hmm. And then my second book is called The Ra- uh, the Radiant Midnight. My first book is called Gathering Dandelions, uh, Faith Fracture and Beauty Mistaken for a Weed. And that's the devotional. And then my second book is called The Radiant Midnight, um, Depression, Grace, and the Gifts of a Dark Place. Mm-hmm. And um, I realized that there are a lot of books written by really smart people that talk about how to um, get out of the hard places, how to overcome the darkness, the hard places in our lives. But I don't think there's a lot of communications out there that talk about how to be in them. Mm, And I really believe that, you know, as a person who has gone into the dark places so many times during her life, if the main goal is for us to be out of them, then I think we miss the depth of the blessings that Mm -hmm. God has in it. And I am not trying to wrap all that stuff up in a bow. I don't have easy answers for all of it, but I do know this. 
I do know that as, as far as the Lord has created day and night, the sun and the moon, that there are times in our lives where we are called into hard places because that is where we will find God in a whole new way. And he is with us. He's with us. And so The Radiant Midnight was written for anyone who's struggling with depression, but really any hard place in their lives so that maybe the things that feel bad, like silence or solitude, um, can be looked at from a different angle in the light of who God is and what he promises us. So great. Well, we will be sure to include links in the show notes so that our listeners can check that out. But I noticed you have something else that you do kind of as a side thing, but a, a jewelry business. Are you still doing that? If they see it's Sparrow Sisters Jewelry, is that right? Yeah, the, the name of my ministry is Sparrow Sisters Ministries. And um, that is, the jewelry is part of what I do when I go speaking. Um, uh, okay. I, I create jewelry that basically reflects some of the things that I talk about Um in my messages and they're really simple, but like one of my necklaces says, um, enough. Um, I am because he is. Mm. Um, and so they're, they're messages that I want women to take away with. They say that with speakers, I think people remember less than 20% of what the message was, but they remember how they felt. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I used to make jewelry a million years ago before I came to faith or anything like that. And it's funny that it's come full circle and now I make it, um, for women to remind them of who they are and who God is. So So it's fun. That's so great. Well, and then I watched a video on your website uh, when I was doing my research about you and what you do. And and you you said in the video, you said I, that you didn't want to be the depression lady, but instead you wanted to be the joy lady. So share about that, like how, you know, you, you were speaking and you didn't want everybody to go, oh, she's the lady who's going to talk on depression. You wanted yeah, to, I mean, yeah, go yeah. Ahead. I, you know, I'm not going to be invited to very many parties. If <laughs> people think like that, my main message, my message is depression. Right. It's not. Um, but I, I want people to understand that you can live a really joyful life in the midst of really hard things. And, you know, when you become a a speaker, there's people that will tell you, you know, like, what's your thing? Like, what's your shtick? What's your main, you know, message? And I, and I just was like, I do not want to be the depression lady. Mm -hmm. Like, but that's kind of what I talk about. And then I realized, but it's really not Mm -hmm. the essence of what I talk about is joy and being really honest with God Mm -hmm. and with one another and with ourselves. And when we are, we can live a joyful life, even when we're having a day that is so hard that you can barely Mm -hmm. get out of bed and that you can't do much of anything because the depression has fallen hard. And um, joy, uh, the joy that I've experienced from God is, um, cannot be affected by the things that go on in my life. Um, but man, I can have hard days, that's for mm-hmm. sure. But yeah. there's a depth there that is unshakable, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want, I just want us to be transparent about who we are and our fallenness and the pain of our fallenness. But it just makes God's grace all the more powerful, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I am not saying that in a like sunshiny, like, let's all wrap it up in a bow, you right. know? Um, I, I say that, I say that with the wounds and the scars that I have Mm -hmm. from uh, deep struggle. Yeah. Well, so what are ways that you rise above your circumstances and you 
have learned to find joy in your story? Um, well, I would say that um, the, the the gift of having struggled with depression for um, since I was 13 um, is that I have seen over and over and over again that it does not last, um, that there will be a day that things feel better again. And I, I can promise myself those things and I can remember, but I really, I have to, I have to be very intentional about remembering mm-hmm. yeah. that. Um, and then the other thing is that um, I don't try and just go on as if and keep doing the same exact things I was going to do when I haven't woken up with depression. Um, I really believe that there are times where you cancel the stuff on your calendar and you put a video on for the kids or, you know, whatever, and you just do what you can. Yeah. And that's it. And I think uh, we can often behave in a shameful way like that. We feel shame by just thinking that we can just gut it out every day and, you know, our kids need us. And so it's like, if they need, you know, their diaper changed or they need to be fed or whatever it is, you know, we, we got to take care of those things, right. but you don't have to get dressed. Right. Like, you know right. what I'm saying? Like there's right. just yeah, days yeah. where it's like, just, just allow yourself to be in these hard spots. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I believe when we, like I've said, for grief, when we make room for the hard things in our lives, it's where we start to find the most joy. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Can I tell you one other story? Absolutely. Um, uh, years back, I was at a um, Johnny and Friends conference. Um, I'm pretty sure most of us know who Johnny Erickson Tata is. And I met a woman there whose son does pottery and he has Down syndrome and he's wonderful at it. And he actually started an Etsy store and he has his own business now. It's amazing. Um, and I talked to her and at the time, Elizabeth, we had tutors for her. She was in high school and we had tutors because um, Elizabeth had a hard time reading. And I have, I am a reader. I'm a voracious reader. Um, I'm a writer, obviously. So reading feels like essential. And uh, I was talking to this lady and she said, you know, she said, I had to let go of the things that my son couldn't do so I could discover what he could do. Mm. And it changed me. Yeah. And I went home and I said... I think enough is enough with the tutoring, mm. another point of grief. Yeah. And then I signed her up for horses because that's what she loves. Mm. And I can't tell you the difference yeah. that it's made. And I think when I made room to grieve over what Elizabeth could not do, mm-hmm. I found room to discover what she could do mm-hmm. and who God called her to be. But it was in acknowledging her limitations that I found where she shone. Mm, you know, so and so I think we have to acknowledge our children's limitations and our own mm-hmm. so that we have room to discover what God has for us. Mm, so good. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing part of your journey with us. I know it's going to be such an encouragement to our listeners. And so I just appreciate you so much being here with us today. Thank you so very much for having me. It's a privilege and it's such a pleasure to meet you, Becky. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Rising Above with Becky Davidson, created and produced by Rising Above Ministries. To learn more about us and our resources for special needs families, visit risingaboveministries.org or download our free app. If you've enjoyed listening and want to hear more, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review. You can always share it to encourage a friend. 
And remember, joy can be found in every story.